0: Section twenty one of the Spirit of American Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The Spirit of American Literature by John Albert Macy. Section twenty one. Henry James there is a sort of poetic justice in the fact that mr james a fine and exacting critic should have evoked from other critics an interesting and provocative variety of opinion both for him and against him people whose business it is to write about literature have put their best brains forward those who attend to him at all sit on the edge of their chairs and thereby agree however otherwise they may differ that they are in the presence of an unusual mind he is already a celebrated argument and there are accepted cliches of him some complimentary some not quite just in the minor humours of the press undoubtedly vulgar as he would hasten to tell us if he had occasion to animadvert on it his name is like browning's synonymous with obscurity with all that suggests height of brow and a liking for the raffiné it is not quite appropriate that such notoriety should attend the work of a man who has pursued his career in modest retirement who has never stood out and fought for his public like ibsen and who has not been rewarded by the popularity which helps to make notoriety palatable he has won and held a small public creating in it a taste for himself as meredith did and being like meredith again a fine example of the man of letters who follows his own course and lets the people talk the people or at least the critics have talked whether they have read him or not in a way some of his friendliest critics have done less good than harm for they have a habit of assuming that to understand him one has to be a very unusually intelligent person which is like the fundamental fallacy of the browning societies mr james is an american only in the sense that he was born and passed part of his youth in this country for forty years he has lived in europe and he does not know much about america it is a visitor and not a native who writes the american scene the characters in his novels are individuals selected out of their habitual environment and without much of any soil clinging to their boots the world is small nowadays and since mr james does not deal with rooted people but with persons whatever their nationality who are in social circumstances which permit them to travel freely he carries his country under his hat and he can study it just as well in london as in florence in rome as in chicago his expatriation is really less significant than washington irving's long sojourn abroad his attitude however is rather british than american for he takes british people more for granted any american reader feels at home with the english characters in english novels miss austen's country families the people of trollope of mr arnold Bennett, of mr h g wells sit beside our fires and talk and smoke make love and trouble just like our neighbors but when an american character walks into an english novel the novelist infallibly tells you in as many different ways as he can think of that this is an american though the character may do nothing but look at his watch or flirt with a girl behave in a quite ordinary way the novelist gets uneasy and begins to hunt for national differences american novelists do the same sort of thing mr howells always takes american people for granted but if an English woman appears on the scene he lets you know that she is english not merely by stating the plain fact but by comments and inklings of national peculiarities So marked is this tendency that mr john m robertson the scotch critic notes and especially enjoys mr howells's attitude toward the english to be sure in their international novels mr james and mr howells make comments on both english and american characteristics they reveal themselves by what they take for granted judged by this sort of evidence mr james gives himself away to an american as being british we cannot however yield him from our poverty to the riches of the english novel moreover the important thing is not so much the settling of a boundary dispute as the fact that mr james ignorant of the american at home fails to make the social contrasts in which he is so much interested his chief interest of course is not in social backgrounds but in individuals whom he minutely and faithfully studies but when he does try to make a plunge into a national depth he merely goes through a paper hoop he is in the same atmosphere not a different one in the wings of the dove he brings the secondary heroine the dove herself from america she might just as well have been born in an english city wealth hair purity intensity oddity fragility and all her companion mrs stringham the lady from boston may be typically bostonian but there is nothing about her essential to the story that might not have been born in liverpool or edinburgh because mr james makes a good deal of her past there must have been some feeling on his part that he was bringing together significantly specimens of different social habits otherwise he surely would not have strained probabilities as he does in the meetings and acquaintanceships that he asks us to accept an english journalist meets in new york a woman whose bosom friend is a boston woman the boston woman went to school in switzerland with the english aunt who controls the destinies of the girl to whom previously the english journalist is engaged why this unnecessary internationalism the contrast between kate croy's competent worldly intellect and the residuary innocence of spirit of milly Is simply a contrast between two different sorts of girls who might have been born in the same city any city from manchester to melbourne the intellectual girl lets herself go in a kind of desperate extravagance because the innocent girl does not quite follow her and so causes her some irritation she went at them just now these sources of irritation with an amused energy that it would have been open to milly to regard as cynical and that was nevertheless called for as to this the other was distinct by the way that in certain connections the american mind broke down it seemed at least the american mind as sitting there thrilled and dazzled in milly not to understand english society without a separate confrontation with all the cases well the intellectual portrait of our young women is wonderful you can see and hear those two girls together but it is one girl's mind and another girl's mind not american and english mind as embodied in two specimens in the foregoing passage it is not mr james but the english girl who imputes americanism to milly's mind But it seems to be his idea, too, and he notes the same thing elsewhere when he is writing more evidently without the intervention of an observant dramatis persona. Much of Mr. James's internationalism is an invention peculiar to him. Almost everything he alleges about a character seems true to human nature, but he does not successfully nationalize one and another characteristic of the human mind it may be that daisy miller was a moral fish out of water and tragically perishing of fever be it noted not of innocence or moral contradictions but she was quite understandably that kind of girl and not inevitably a compatriot of mr howells's lydia blood or mr dreiser's jenny gerhardt or mrs wharton's lily bart if mr newman in the american had been an englishman the story would have gone just as well he does not do or say or think or possess a single nameable thing which necessitated his having been born in the united states whether the bellegarde family is recognizably and untransplantably french only a frenchman can tell us but it is worth remarking that whenever an english writing novelist wishes to work into a story some dark crime behind marvellous manners and fine breeding he gets french or italian or spanish people to play the villain for him except meredith who satirizes the english view of the french in beauchamp's career the moment an english novelist casually informs you that one of his characters had a french mother or that his name was sorrel but his grandfather was a wine merchant named Sorolia. you know right away that he will commit some crime before the book is done national characteristics are mainly superstitious held by aliens and not recognized by natives or by the thoroughly adopted newman has not a characteristic which is not american for nothing is un-american not even a preference for champagne without ice what is recorded of him by mr james as being peculiarly american does not strike at least one american as being so for example newman suspects the bellegarde family and he talks about them to his friend mrs tristram she is wicked she is an old sinner what is her crime asked mrs tristram i shouldn't wonder if she had murdered someone. one all from a sense of duty of course how can you be so dreadful sighed mrs tristram i am not dreadful i am speaking of her favorably pray what will you say when you want to be severe i shall keep my severity for some one else for the marquis there's a man i can't swallow mix the drink as i will and what has he done i can't quite make out it is something dreadfully bad something mean and underhand and not redeemed by audacity as his mother's misdemeanors may have been If he has never committed murder, he has at least turned his back and looked the other way while someone else was committing it. In spite of the invidious hypothesis which must be taken for nothing more than an example of the capricious play of American humor, Newman did his best to maintain an easy and friendly style of communication with Monsieur de Bellegarde. What Newman says will have to be taken as something more than an example of the capricious play of American humor or as something quite other than american humor a human being from any part of the world might talk that way what newman says is not distinctly american in substance in tone in turn of phrase and there is one other thing the matter with it it is not humorous it is dead in earnest newman is seriously troubled and mr james so represents him at the moment and in the event But our author has Americanisms on the brain and sees them when they do not exist. Mr. James has lost what his brother calls connection with the open air of human nature, human nature in its large common aspects. Not that he is untrue to human nature. He is a remarkable penetrating student of it within a limited range of types and in social surroundings that are very narrow, though they embrace half the cities of Europe. But he has not a broad knowledge of people. His humanity is sometimes intense and exquisite. It is not very hospitable. He goes deep into some individuals, not deep into society. For all his unique originality, he is a conventional man of the world, as conventional as Thackeray. He is distinctly not a philosopher as man of letters professional craftsman he is a thorough workman as an interpreter of human life in its main issues he is a dilettante never even betraying that he understands or has ever questioned where newman verver and miss theale got their money and how or what supports the newspaper whose brazen reporter is so annoying what the newspaper means as a social force beyond the fact that a journalist is importunate in the presence of gentlemen mr james is not a snob because he has too much candour and good sense but he has never strayed imaginatively outside his own comfortable cultivated class some of his persons are uncultivated and some are impecunious but they are the poor and the vulgar of the upper crust not the real poor the real common majority he does not know as much as any one of fifteen younger novelists in england and america knows about all the principal economic and social varieties to be found in a single town he is almost morbid on the subject of vulgarity it is a fine trait to dislike vulgarity but it is not altogether wholesome to feel obliged to name it as vulgar every time one comes anywhere near it indeed it is a kind of vulgarity to be so uneasy about it it is not polite to flaunt one's wealth and it is not the largest most natural kind of elegance to betray a continuous consciousness of inelegance it is simpler to let things and people tell their own story unlabelled and to assume that the reader will know that this style of speech or that style of house furnishing is vulgar or is not mr james has two technical defects one of style the other of method the defect of style is due to his habit of writing with his eye and his mind instead of with his ear his great mind saves him perfectly when he is writing in his own person but too often when he makes a character speak he equips it with a peculiarly henry james sentence a fault not unlike browning's but more pardonable in a poet than in a writer of realistic fiction says kate croy we needn't i grant you in that case wait with all due deference to the author of her wonderful being what she would have said is i grant you that in that case we needn't wait folks talk that way in America and, one stands on the testimony of other novelists, in England. Of Robert Assingham, a good, straightforward military man, Mr. James says, He disengaged. He would be damned if he didn't. They were both phrases he repeatedly used. His responsibility. Now, he would be damned, no doubt. That sounds right but fancy his saying I disengage my responsibility to disengage one's responsibility is what a very full-worded man of letters does but not what a blunt and none too clever military man does she'll depreciate to you mrs Assingham added your property that is in spoken english she'll depreciate your property to you added mrs Assingham run down your property would be still better more lifelike mr verver an american business man is the hero of the following hiccoughing row of phrases well i mean too he had gone on that we haven't no doubt enough the sense of difficulty the james sentence as a rule will be found upon scrutiny to contain admirably each thing in its place the entire idea and whatever another writer more naturally following the path of least resistance which on the whole is that path normally pursued by the human mind would tag on as who should say as an afterthought he cunningly and true to an ideally more perfect intellectual arrangement inserts or more properly builds in so that in fine to the English language is wonderfully restored in him some of the effect so long lost of the periodic sentence but people don't talk that way even the rather intellectual and delightfully clever human beings that he assembles the other defect that of method is the vice of his virtue he is critic of human life he devises an interesting situation and then stands off and explains it the good effect of this which no other novelist quite so curiously affords is a warrant of intellectual integrity as if he wanted the reader to watch the story with him discover things simultaneously with the author the difficulty is that having assumed that he does not know all about it but is a spectator too he then without any new action gesture or speech to furnish new knowledge plunges into the midmost mind of the character and tells things that are working there which only a god could know when daniel defoe narrating external events professes ignorance of something he plays a pretty game with the reader's credulity for the reader immediately claps the positive on the negative and concludes that what defoe does tell he does know all about This device is a good one to establish verisimilitude in an autobiographical narrative but it obviously is not successful applied to a novel in which the author deals with psychological processes known only to the omniscient creator what she was thinking of i am unable to say i hazard the supposition etc the reader's inner self retorts my dear sir you made her If you do not know, you ought to, or there is no use pretending that you knew all you told us a few pages back. We confess, says our author, to having perhaps read into the scene prematurely a critical character that took longer to develop. That sounds like candor and ought to strengthen the illusion that the writer is telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth as he knows it, but its effect is quite otherwise. It disturbs credulity, ruffles illusion as when the theatre drop with the castle painted on it wavers in a gust from the wings anything is bad art which makes a reader say this is not so and mr james frequently does things in the talk of his characters and in his own comments which spoil the show in the turn of the screw he takes the governess's story out of her lips and retranslates it into an unconvincing idiom so that what ought to be a great tragic parable a ghost story even more terribly significant than ibsen's ghosts misses fire the more so in that the very nature of the story gives hostages to probability at the outset the plain fact is that many of mr james's stories do not sound true they are the work of a critic and they are interesting chiefly to those who like to follow with their intellects the wonderful process of his intellect this is especially the case with his later books which have perhaps unfortunately obscured those that made his reputation the first books roderick hudson the princess Casamassima, the portrait of a lady the american are straight away and simple how came it that the critic ran away with the novelist one reason it is safe to guess is that he lacks narrative material his mind is better than the intrinsic value of the subject he deals with he says highly intelligent and wise things about relatively unimportant situations the great novelists voluminous as they are make you feel that they are telling only part of what they know that there is a great life behind them mr james is like a great scientific mind imprisoned with a few bugs they are interesting bugs and he says wonderful things about them so long as the door is shut and one cannot hear the clamour of life outside one is content to study them with him unflaggingly fascinated the minute intricate fidelity of his observation is such that it taxes the full capacity of the reader's attention he is a chronicler of mental processes when there is process and an analyst of stationary mental states a good deal of the human intellect is comparatively static so that his work is often mere exposition unfolding rather than progressing it is a treat to watch him trace an idea to follow it as it swims up touched here by a motive there by a circumstance until it finally takes shape on the lips of a character. Because of his large, if not predominant, interest in the minds of his people, he is called a psychologist. He is a psychologist only so far as he is true to human nature. All true portraits of human beings are psychologically true, the story of Joseph and his brethren no less than one of Mr. James's novels. In most stories the motives are simplified and the actions elaborated. In Mr. James the action is often subordinated to the meanings and the motives of it. Nine-tenths of what can be said about human beings by a sincere man seeking the truth is plain self-evident. Literature and life have already made it familiar so that it is instantly recognized when it is met again. The other tenth is complex and cannot be briefly explained and it is with this tenth that mr james is eagerly engaged hence to people who do not receive a complicated idea mr james seems obscure in point of fact he is a paragon of clarity sharp precise and accurate with the kind of verbal justice which is characteristic of the french he is obscure only with the unavoidable obscurity that attends saying a new and difficult thing it is easier to narrate that a man killed his wife or put on his gloves than it is to say just how maggie verver met the stronger woman who menaced her married life once you get the total development of one of his characters you feel that you have passed all round it and proved that it is a real entity occupying space all the details have been touched in so that complete knowledge finally closes round like a curve whose free ends meet at last and fulfil in a circle aside from the analysis and psychology and all that is forbiddingly intellectual some of the dramatic scenes in james's novels are remarkable inventions if the word scene suggests something too motor and theatrical then say rather the situations the human predicaments to tell one of his plots is hopelessly to spoil him for his reactions on the plots are what counts yet in order to indicate what an original relationship he can devise let us roughly suggest the situation in the golden bowl maggie verver is daughter of a rich american art collector she marries an italian prince just before the wedding there appears on the scene charlotte stant a friend of maggie's the prince and charlotte have been in love but unable to marry because they have not money enough they have one hour together unknown to maggie in which they go ostensibly for charlotte to buy maggie a wedding present into a curio shop there they see a golden bowl which charlotte admires the prince knows it is cracked after the wedding of maggie and the prince mr verver whose daughter has been his intimate companion is lonely he proposes to charlotte and is accepted only after they have telegraphed to maggie and the prince for their approval the prince and charlotte are thus thrown together the prince and his wife's stepmother maggie has known nothing of their past but she finds it out partly through the golden bowl and the curio dealer whom she stumbles on that outline which is too crude even to be an outline is sufficient to suggest the quadrangular situation compared to which the familiar triangular situation is child's play the working out of the story is at the lowest possible estimate a fascinating game of motives at the best estimate the one which is worthy of it it is very noble study of human character in his unemotional way mr james is a worshipper of what is fine in men and women he is somewhat timid in handling passion but he contrives to let you know that it is there off the stage but a vital part of the piece he is not a poet and that rather than any conviction of realism is probably the reason that the decided tendency to the romantic which he showed in his youth has not deepened but has almost entirely disappeared some of his titles especially the later ones are as symbolic as ruskin's but their symbolism is intellectual not poetic they are like all his metaphors of which he is prolific analogies contrived by the mind not the immediately sensational metaphors of the poet's vision they explain they elucidate but they do not flash on the ear or the eye they are the work of a man whose understanding is great but whose sense of beauty is not wonderful his is a critical intelligence turned into fiction as some undramatic poets turned to drama in shakespeare's time because drama was the thing doing he has not much of what may fairly be called the instinctive gift of narrative but his unusual intellect and fine artistic conscience have made him an object of intense admiration for his fellow-craftsmen there are better story-tellers there are several living writers with a more natural ear for style there is not one whose mind is more interesting to encounter or who puts more sheer brains into his books biographical note henry james was born in new york city april fifteenth eighteen forty three he is a brother of william james the philosopher he was educated in europe and at the harvard law school since eighteen sixty nine he has lived in paris london italy and other places in europe his principal works are A Passionate Pilgrim, 1875 Transatlantic Sketches, 1875 Roderick Hudson, 1875 The American, 1877 French Poets and Novelists, 1878 The Europeans, 1878 Daisy Miller, 1878 An International Episode, 1879 Life of Hawthorne, 1879 A Bundle of Letters, 1879 The Madonna of the Future, 1879 Confidence, 1880 Diary of a Man of Fifty, 1880 Washington Square, 1880 The Portrait of a Lady, 1881 The Siege of London, 1883 Portraits of Places, 1884 Tales of Three Cities, 1884 a Little Tour in France, 1884 The Author of beltraffio 1885 The Bostonians, 1886 The Princess Casamassima, 1886 Partial Portraits, 1888 The Aspern Papers, 1888 The Reverberator, 1888 A London Life, 1889 The Tragic Muse, 1890 The lesson of the master, 1892, The real thing, 1893, Picture and text, 1893, The private life, 1893, Essays in London, 1893, The wheel of time, 1893, The spoils of Poynton, 1897, What Maisie knew, 1897, In the cage, 1898, The Two Magics, eighteen ninety eight. The Awkward Age, eighteen ninety nine. The Soft Side, nineteen hundred. The Sacred Fount, nineteen hundred and one. The Wings of the Dove, nineteen hundred and three. The Ambassadors, nineteen hundred and three. The Better Sort, nineteen hundred and three. William W. Story and His Friends, nineteen hundred and four the question of our speech and the lesson of balzac 1905 english hours 1905 the american scene 1906 italian hours 1909 julia bride 1909 the outcry 1912 end of section 21 End of The Spirit of American Literature by John Albert Macy